the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. Welcome to The Marinade with Jason Earl, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is episode 93, and our guest is Mercy Bell. Mercy Bell is a singer and songwriter whose latest record, Golden Child, is one of our favorites of the year. This conversation was too much fun, y'all. We talk about her wonderful new record, living a creative life, growing up queer in the church, all kinds of ground was covered in this one. I could have talked with Mercy Bell for hours. Everyone, it is such a pleasure to bring you my conversation with Mercy Bell. are all good i've had some struggles recently but i think we're coming in do i sound okay on your end sure do awesome all right let's get to it um i'm i'm really excited to talk with you this uh, golden child is just like i've been trying to to find an eloquent way to say it and i just keep coming back to it just kicks ass thank you (laughs) i think that's pretty eloquent to me (laughs) (laughs) like i'm supposed to be the one writing these you know these wonderful analogies and about music and talking about it in these flowery ways and i just think it kicks fucking ass man so thank, thank you, you. <laughs> that's honestly the best review of anything i could ask for <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so much i like about it and it's just like i i love the way you write i love how in your face you are with some of with so many of these lyrics i, I mean i i to start off a record with plan b and a gatorade another walgreens on a sunday it's just <laughs> How do you describe it other than kick ass? Like what, <laughs> what an image that immediately creates in the listener, in the listener's mind. And, um, and the whole record's like that, you know, the whole record is full of these characters that are just like, oh, I know that one. I know that one. I know that one. I've been that one. I know. That. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's that. That's a, that's a, also a great it, like. I might have to co quote you on that one because that's I've had a hard time explaining it to people if they haven't. Um, I don't know. A lot of this record comes from bartending and from also just being on like the other side of the merch table, not even being on the other side of the stage, but like on the other side of the merch table and just like meeting people and people tell you stuff and you feel really privy to things and people, um, I don't think people realize how much of myself I see in all the stories people tell me. So it's like, that is exactly what you just said. The, like, and I've been that one. Yeah. <clears throat> like that's exactly how I felt writing this. That's great. I, I'm so glad you said the thing about your experiences bartending. Um, because I think, you know, for me as a writer, I, I'm, and I'm trying to get even better at this is that I'm constantly in tune with whoever is around me. Um, if I'm at a bar or if I'm at a coffee shop or just if I'm at the store lately, I've realized I haven't been as present. And so I've taken some steps to be more present. And I mm -hmm. think that we could probably spend a whole nother podcast on that, right? Like COVID <laughs> and all that kind of shit. That's kind of got me in a certain place. But, but in the last, I would say month, I've been hyper aware of being more present. Mm -hmm. Um, and as a result, I'm, I'm see I'm experiencing that where I'm finding these characters everywhere and they're showing up in things that I'm writing. They're showing up in my morning pages. They're showing up in song ideas and, um, and, and it's so enriching to do that and to be in tune with it. And I, I wonder like when you're bartending and you're meeting these characters and you're seeing these characters and you got your bartender ears on, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? So you hear ev the bartender hears everything, everything, <laughs> you hear everything from three, three deep and you can hear everything. You want us to, cause you want to know that I want you to want that extra crayon in your vodka soda. Yeah. Like <laughs> you want us to hear it, but we hear everything. You don't understand. We hear everything everything like i heard some stuff this weekend that i was like oh my god that's good you need some some support and i was thinking that in my head i was like this person needs some support but you know i'm gonna give you a tito's and soda but <laughs> <laughs> i don't judge people either i just am because like i'm also a therapy nerd and like in my other world like if i could go back to school it would probably be to be a therapist but uh in my head, it's like, I'm never judging people. I'm just, most of the time I'm just like, God, this person doesn't realize how much they're going through. That's usually what I am thinking is like, this person is like downplaying the stuff that they've experienced. So, and I tell that to people sometimes I'm like, you know, you deserve support for that. Like, and they'll brush it off. Be like, yeah, just life. And I'm like, your mom trying to kill herself is not just life. Like that is life, but it's also like, you know, this, this is the stuff people tell me, like they tell me all sorts of things on the other side of the bar, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I'm always trying to give them compassion and strength, but it's like, I, so I write songs, you know, <laughs> that's literally it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, that, that is so interesting in that world. My partner is a bartender. She, she manages a, a wine bar and, um, it, it, it's, it is so interesting how also how people, and I don't know how many like regulars you have, but how people's whole lives can revolve around those bars. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's their, that is their social outlet. And, and again, I've been that guy, you know, like I'm not at this moment hey, right now, hey. but I've hundred percent been that, that person, you know? And, um, but it is so interesting how rather than 
because there's a balance, right? You can, I mean, masking it every once in a while with some alcohol isn't necessarily always a bad thing, but coping right. constantly and and uh, and it not being normal for everyone to go to therapy. Like to me, I talk about my my therapist and the things that 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 I talk about in therapy. I, I talk about what an influence therapy has on me. I should say hey. a positive influence all the fucking time. Anybody oh, yeah. who listen, I'm I'm just like go to therapy if you can afford it. Go to therapy. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I do too. I one thousand percent. And I know how hard it is to get a good therapist. So I always try to hold space for people with that. But like, I am just trying to destigmatize. Cause there's still so many people like, Oh, I don't need therapy. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm like, that's not what it is. It's like the same thing mm-hmm. as like getting an oil change, you know, like you can't just drive your car forever without getting an oil change. So like, I'm not, I'm trying not to like shove it down people's throats, but I am trying to destigmatize it the same way. I think 1000% with golden child, I'm trying to destigmatize reproductive health. Honestly, it's like plan B is the normal part of life, but we don't talk about it. Right. You know? I mean, we do, we do talk about it. Girls will talk about it the next morning all the time or people with people with vulvas and uteruses, you know, not just, you know, depending on how you identify, but it's just like, to me, a lot of the stuff that I put in is that seems shocking to people is really just like, I'm trying to get that initial shock out of the way so that we can start talking about it, you know? And that's really, that's really what I'm trying to do because like, I have been there. I was raised really, um, devout Catholic. And so there's a lot of stuff that, but with like a super loving family, like super like bohemian in a lot of ways, but it's like, I remember when I, the biggest, hardest thing for me coming to terms with my own sexuality was my own coming to terms with my own sexuality. It was like nobody else. And I remember I had to get over this like shock value of myself to actually normalize it. So I realized that there is an element with the rest of everything we do, whether it's mental health or like sex, like um, reproductive health or like just like people's sex lives, things like that. We just have to like talk about it, but not in a shocking way, you know, like, like, like normalize it, normalize. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, now that you're saying that, I like that, that opening line to golden child did hit me in the face. But now that I look at it and read it again and picture that scene, and then also, I mean, it goes on to talk about a lot of other elements around that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the song, the song goes into all of the, the, the people in that orbit of the, of the event, but the event itself, like that line itself should not be all that shocking but it is. Yeah. Even I had to, who's like, so into mental health and reproductive health and all this stuff. Even I was like, should I say that? Like, is that like, okay. I thought about it for a long time. And then, I mean, when I wrote it, it just came out, but then I shelved, I like shelved the song and I thought somebody else is singing. Like, we'll give it to, um, I was like, maybe if a dude sang it, it would be better. Right. Because I, I was like, I wrote it not for myself. I wrote it at like a um, ASCAP songwriting retreat type thing. And so I never thought I was going to sing it for myself. I thought I was going to, I like threw out that line and I was like, I don't know, somebody else will sing this. I'm like, like um, for lack of a better term, bro country guy will sing it. And it'll sound cool. Like if Sam Hunt or somebody sang that, it would have like impact, right? Or Dirk Bentley or somebody like that. But then the COVID, ha- COVID happened and I was like, dang it, you know, I'm pretty proud of this song. Like it has, we did a great job. It's like, I 
think it's catchy. Um, and then Cameron and Sumiko, who are the other co-writers, like did a great job with it. So heck, I'm going to put it on this album. Why, why not? So, you know, and That's it great. kind of became the whole crux of the thing. But I struggled with it, too. I was like, in my normal life, this is the stuff I talk about all the time. But it's like there's a there's almost like a, you're not allowed to talk about that outside of, you know, the confines of a friendship or your house or, you know, a, a FaceTime or something. You know what I mean? So yeah. I don't know. I just was like, all right, let's do it. It was well, shocking. And- me too. It was shocking for me too, but it was like, it's real. It's like what we talk about, you know? So that's great. And I, but I think and through song, you are able to get to some of those, those conversations can become more normal because it's such a, I mean, it's a great melody and it's a, it is a very catchy song. And, uh, and that can then kind of soften the blow of, of this really heavy because, because it is a heavy event either way. Yeah, right. I mean, it is. There's a lot going on there. I mean, I've never been in that situation where I've, you know, I'm right. never in a situation where I have to worry about taking plan B, right? I, that, right, right. But that doesn't mean I can't empathize with it and and put kind of put myself there and be like, what? Well, that's got to be really intense. And then on its own, and then on top of that, the fact that there is a stigma that is so ridiculous, but that there is a stigma has to then add a layer of emotional. Um, you know, uh, heaviness to that moment. And in this song, you examine it so clearly and so in your face. Yeah. And I mean, then that's, I just wanted to like let everybody know it's like, it's something I struggled with too. Like, like, Oh, should we even talk about this? But like, especially after watching a lot of things happen in the country in the past five years you know i i was like what's, you know, what's been happening in the country the past five years no, like what's been happening i mean a lot of reproductive health has been kind of stripped <laughs> right. back you know um but it's like i was like you know i don't really i'm not a big believer in arguing i don't think arguing really works i think telling you the truth about your own experience works and when mm-hmm. somebody who is close to you who might be opposed to you here's what you're actually going through i think a big thing for that is like a lot of my friends who've um who've like experienced assault or things like that like it's changed it's changed people in their own lives. they're like i didn't know that you went through that you know and it makes them think differently about that sort of thing or sexuality like i've known people who were like anti-gay and then they find out that i'm gay and then they um, come around, you know? So it's like, I think that there's an element of like, if it's affecting you close to home, it's more capable of like changing people's minds. Does that make sense? I just woke up. It makes a <laughs> time. <laughs> it's a bartender hours. Yeah. yeah. I've been up since seven 30. I'm a teacher. Oh yeah. That's, so that's, like, that sounds uh, a little bit better. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know that one's better than the other. <laughs> it's all different. Um, we, my partner and I joke that drunk people and kids can often be very similar. Um, oh, that makes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have, yeah. Some, we have like similar stories, you know, somebody picks a chair up and throws it in a fit of rage or whatever, you know, <laughs> throws a tantrum. Um, but, um, okay. So you just gave me a lot and, and I kind of want to, I wonder if we could talk a little bit about growing up 
because I, I find your upbringing fascinating that you it it's like there was this kind of progressive nature to certain aspects of your upbringing it seems like but at the same time you grew up in a strict catholic home and there wasn't like television allowed and some of those things and i wonder how much that informs the writing now for you yeah um it was it 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 was so I think I also went for the like the oldest sibling, the oldest child thing, which I have noticed with a lot of my friends who are having kids like they have all these rules for their kids. And then by the time another kid rolls around, it's like so it's like when my know like I was not allowed to watch American Gladiator or Rugrats. By the, but by the time my like baby sister showed up, she's watching SpongeBob and like everything. Right. So. Mm-hmm. I think there's that element too, but it's, that's just kind of like young parents trying new things. Um, But it definitely, I was definitely encouraged to do artistic stuff all the time. So, Mm -hmm. and all my siblings were, and um, I have basically been creating art for myself and for everybody that like my siblings and friends and cousins since I was, since I can remember, so like age four, you know, and then I was in, um, my parents were trying to like, keep me in like wholesome things. So they were always throwing me in like choir and theater and stuff like that. So I've been doing that from a really young age. So I think that for me, it really helped artistically. It made me an artist Mm -hmm. because I wasn't ever like, squashed in that realm um I think the hardest thing for me with my upbringing was definitely um my sexuality um just because I really latched on to just I also have full disclosure I have OCD and so it can kind of make you it can make me think of things in like a very obsessive way and like intrusive thoughts things like that so the mixture of like devout Catholicism and my parents had no idea that I was OCD like that because people think of OCD as like lining things up and the intrusive thoughts and rumination and like um, doom stuff is kind of more of a modern understanding of it. Um, so, uh, but it Catholicism and uh, OCD did do not mix. Mm-hmm. They it was really, really rough. And I really should have been medicated from a much younger age and like in exposure therapy, but that's kind of a modern thing. It's, it hasn't really, the understanding of like treating OCD hasn't been really um, developed very well until the past probably decade. So pretty much everybody was just like shit out of luck in the nineties, you know? So Mm -hmm. Um, and that was really looking back on it now from a lens of like mental health and modern resources. Um, I realized like, uh, I was like textbook religious OCD and I just latched onto it and I've gotten a lot of, uh, solace realizing that that was just, um, that, that I'm not alone with that. And that's another thing that I want to talk about. It's like, people are like, oh, we don't want to talk about that mental health thing or that. And I was like, well, I didn't, I'm, I was 35 when I finally got the right treatment for something that has been haunting me my whole life. Mm-hmm. And that even though my parents always tried to like get me help for stuff, there just weren't resources in the nineties and early two thousands. Like, and like, so I talk about it now because people watch my Instagram and people 
do that stuff. And it's like, if I can help somebody else, cause I know how miserable it is, like, then I will. So I know that was a long way around grandma's house, but it was like, it's great. It's great. Yeah. And it brings up so many things that the, so many mental health challenges are misunderstood. I think OCD seems to be one of those that is maybe the most misunderstood in many ways because it has become, you know, it's been made it into a joke, you know, mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. Like people, people often make just a off the cuff remark about being OCD, even though they're not actually OCD and people don't understand. Right. And I'm still pretty ignorant about it, but I've only in the last few years, um, and it started with another songwriter who, who talked to me about their OCD and how, how it impacts them. I wonder how, as a young creative, you're, you're doing theater and you're doing, uh, you know, choir and that kind of thing, how much, and maybe even today, how much the OCD was impacting your creative process. Does it ever get in the way? Does it ever in some ways add to it? Like, how does it impact your process? Um, in terms of like positives, I'm like, it, like, I can't let go of things. So I'll finish it. So I'm, if I'm really into it, I'll finish it or I'll practice something obsessively, like to the T like obsessively, but it can also backfire really badly in that it, um, you'll get hooked onto one thing that is just absolutely not important to it but it'll keep you from finishing it so it's like on that hand there's been a lot of projects that i've just thrown away because i'm like i'm paralyzed mm. and i can't mm. um and i probably shouldn't have thrown it away and i think that that was helpful with i think this album if i had not been in treatment for ocd i wouldn't have made this album because to me it wouldn't have gone up to my standards of like well i had to write all the songs by myself which was like a weird OCD thing, which is totally not realistic in the music industry. Like people co-write songs all the time. Like it's the norm. Um, but in my obsessive brain, I was like, I have to write all the songs myself. Um, and like, I was, you don't finish anything. That's why it took me 10 years to make another album in between, or like in between my last album, seven or eight years. And so like, um, I think honestly, getting uh treatment helped me make this album for sure because it helped wow. me like kind of like let go and do things in a way that everybody else does creatively which is healthy and good and productive and um but at the same time I was also before I was in treatment you know I kind of latched on I worked two jobs to obsessively finish an album and like didn't sleep and didn't ever have a day off, which now I'm like, I can't do that. I'm too tired. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, like I think that there's the hours of obsession have definitely um, made me like an, like a pretty uh, capable vocalist and uh, lyricist and now I'm really just hoping I can get into the part of my life where I can start producing more as in not like being a producer, but like output and productivity instead of being just paralyzed by, Oh, I don't like that. I didn't write 95.7% of this song. You know what I mean? So 
again, that's a long way around grandma's house, but it's great. Thank yeah. you for it. I, so on the, on the productivity front, what does that, what does that look like for you? You mentioned how much you mentioned working two jobs. You mentioned like, um, we talked about the fact that you work now bartending. How does that, how do you find the time? Are you a sit down and do the work person when it comes to writing? Does it come in, you hear a line at the, uh, at work or wherever, and then you write it down or you file it away. Like, what does the process look like for you in terms of productivity? Um, I think that just from my, like what you were saying earlier about how you're present and you're just like watching people as characters, I pretty much always have my writer brain on all the time. Every day I go to work, I'm like, in my head and I think you mentioned morning pages so I mm -hmm. guess for people who don't know what the morning pages are it's um what's her face Julia Julia Cameron. Cameron yeah and she has this idea that every day you wake up and you like kind of empty your brain out and I'm just saying this for people who don't know um and you you like write three pages uh, extemporaneously and I have basically um I did that for a while and I still do it, but I kind of do it throughout the day now. So I pretty much always have my writer's brain on. So I never, ever, ever, ever have the problem of like, well, what am I gonna write about? Like, I always have a very large dossier of things to write about. Um, my biggest hang up is like, I will write a hook and most of us uh, of a verse and a chorus and I'll be like, this is trash. That's my biggest problem. And that is like, and there's no way of knowing if it's trash or not because I don't give it a second chance. So like, that's my biggest hang up. Um, it's not like the fodder. I always have ideas. I have concepts for days. It's really just the sitting down and not being so self-critical that I don't give it a chance. Mm -hmm. So that's my biggest, and that's where all my friends and people that I collaborate with are like, just freaking write it already. Just write mm -hmm. it, just write it. <laughs> like yeah. it's that easy. Well, so, but what are you, what do you do? What are you going to do about that? Like if your goal is more productivity, how are you going to address that particular problem? Yeah. Or are you addressing it? Yeah, I'm, um, with this last album, I realized how much I do enjoy co-writing. And even though the obsessive part of my brain is like, that's not, that's, and I'm saying this, this is an intrusive thought. This is not actual fact. And this is one thing people have to understand about OCD is like, we have so many ins like absurd thoughts all the time. And you basically have to learn how to filter and be like, shut the fuck up. Or like, I am ignoring you because you, but one of those for me is like, if you write a song with somebody else, it doesn't count. And it's an intrusive thought. It's not real. Mm -hmm. It is not valid, but it gets in my way a lot. So in therapy, my therapist is always like, well, if your exposure would literally be in the sense to co-write songs, because it's going against this thing that your brain is telling you not to do. So, and I know this is really chaotic, probably if, if nobody has ever heard of any of this stuff, exposure therapy, OCD, intrusive thoughts, but this is like um, what a lot of people deal with. And mm -hmm. um, it's what I deal with and it gets in the way of my art. Um, so co-writing is definitely going to be mm -hmm. the thing. And at first I was like, oh, well, how am I gonna do this in COVID? But then I've met some pretty cool people 
including J.R. Bohannon, who did this album with me, like we did it all virtually. So that's amazing. Um, yeah, it's pretty dope. And um, like he recorded it and he recorded the band in Brooklyn. And then I recorded the vocals here in Nashville and it was awesome. So it's like, okay, there's that answer. I don't have an excuse. So now it's just to like schedule these cover rights and do it. Cool. You know? That's yeah. great. And how wonderful. And I mean, it's not because that's also accessing another part of the creative process. It's going to yeah. allow you to continue to grow as a writer if you're bouncing, if you're getting sharpened by other writers and you're mm -hmm. more open to it in that yeah. way. It's going to make you more productive. Good for you. That's exciting. Yeah. And this whole album, The Golden Child, was co written. So I was like, that was. And again, I want to hammer this in. I think co-writing is great. It is just the stupid little gremlin in my brain that is also telling me that if I don't wash my hands 30 times, I'm going to go to hell. I don't even really believe in hell. Like, yeah. like you know what I mean? It's just an intrusive thought. So it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go co-write more. It's gonna be good for me. It's good for everybody, so. OCD sounds like it has a lot of similarities to anxiety. Yeah. Oh, um, it is. It's an anxiety disorder. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of that. I, I, I suffer from generalized anxiety and, um, everything you're saying, I mean, not the washing hands thing, but like the, the other stuff for sure. And I grew up in the church and I still have, and I don't believe in hell and I still have those, the guilties. You know, yes. I, still have, I still have the guilties and I still feel like something bad is going to happen to me. It, you know, even though I don't really believe in that bad thing, it's Pending still doom is there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's um, it's so anxiety disorder. And then it just so if generalized anxiety disorder is like one of the branches. Then OCD is another branch. And oftentimes they co uh, are comorbid. Is that the word? I don't know. Co occur whatever the word is. There's a lot of therapeutic lingo, but um, it is. It's an anxiety disorder. So oh. we're we're related. <laughs> <laughs> we're mental health uh, siblings. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> goodness oh man I'm, I'm thinking about like in the league when they talk about having an uh, eskimo brother we're like eskimo brothers but um <laughs> but, but, um, uh, what would it be i'm gonna come back to you and it's, it's gonna like show up in the middle of the night i'll be like that's a perfect rebuttal not rebuttal but that's a perfect addendum to that <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh. Man. um one of the things i found interesting in doing the research for this is um is that you have worked on kind of the uh, the business side of the music industry and then obviously the creative part. And I'm curious about how those things coexist in your in your brain. Um, I'm honestly, I feel really lucky to have worked in the business side for so many years. I was a administrative assistant for seven years in at Sony ATV and then United Talent Agency. So one was in like the licensing and royalties department of like, um, that really helped me see um, how much money you can make songwriting. And if I can mm. give you any tip, any songwriter out there, it would be write a hit Christmas song with one or two songwriters. And I'm thinking of Mariah Carey, because I just get to see and make it sing alongable. Like 
that she's making a lot of money. And that was the thing. It's like my job there was literally to like match people's royalties with like their dollar amounts or like write a hit song for a movie. My heart will go on one writer and makes a lot of money. So Mm. like if you're going to write like maybe three writers that I would say, so you're only splitting it, you know, a certain amount of ways. And then, um, you know, Christmas, cause they'll bring it out every year. <laughs> so that was just my main takeaway with that. Um, and a lot of other things like just micro sales and things like that. And then working in the booking side of things, you learn a lot. And I, I, um, I think like I learned how to read a contract. I learned how to, I learned how much is like considered normal for like an up and coming artist to ask for in terms of like a guarantee and splits and things like that. Like I learned what a budget of a show should look like. So I think it really helped me in when I'm like booking myself not to get ripped off, you know, Mm. Um, there are like uh, things to like keep an eye out in terms of like this promoter might be full of shit. You know what I mean? So, um, and honestly it, it's helped me a lot, especially with the like COVID and everything. Um, Cause when things opened up, I got like a flurry of show invites, but I like, I was like, I think I know um, this, this might get canceled. And mm-hmm. I don't can't, I literally, because of the pandemic, I can't afford to take time off work of bartending right now. So I think it gave me a really realistic working in that industry gave me a very realistic expect like understanding of how the money side of things works. And not in like a greedy grabber kind of way, but in like a, do you want to actually pay your bills? You know? So, well, I think that's great. A lot of times those discussions, it turn one of two ways, either um, they turn almost bitter, right? People are just upset about the way things are, or they turn to like a, um, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with either of these. I'm just saying this tends to be the case when I talk to artists, if it goes that direction or they have kind of a, like, I just make art. I'm not worried about the money, man, you know, yeah. which is yeah. both are valid and, and right. you know, I get it, but I, you seem to have like, like a pragmatic approach to it, but at the same time you are that artist. So, and I think that's really interesting. I don't, I don't hear that a lot. Yeah. I think I, I really lucked out in that I have always, I, I have always made art and I'm not just talking about music. I'm talking about like prose and, Mm. um, you know, I always sing and I ingest a lot of art all the time. Like it's my number one, other than therapy and exercise, it's my number one therapy. Like if I'm having a bad day, I will seek out art, whether that is a movie or a book or looking at paintings or photography or watching people dance or listening to music. Like for me, art is selfish is the wrong word, but it it is something I use for myself and I always will. Um, so I never worry about creating. And I know that even if someday I have a completely different job, if I'm like a gas station attendant and during the apocalypse on the outskirts of some border town, I will still be making art all by myself, like for myself, it enriches me. So I am lucky that I will always be that person. Um, and I will always sing in the shower, always sing in the car for myself, for nobody, right? Um, learning how to turn it into a business um, has been a struggle. Mm. And maybe I should say an education. And it has taken a long time. 
and I learn more and more each year. Mm. Um, and I have to say the pandemic, I was getting to a place of burnout when my last album came out. So my self-titled one from 2019, Mm-hmm. And I was about to go to South by Southwest and I was touring a lot and I was working two jobs and touring and I never had a day off. And I was like, it was popping off and then everything shut down. And um, mm-hmm. it was really kind of like an exercise in getting all, I was so amped up. I was ready. I was ready to go to South by Southwest. I was ready to do all the deals and meet everybody and go have all the meetings. And then it all shut down. Mm-hmm. I really had to ask myself like, well, am I doing this for, I'm, I was like, I'm clearly good at the business side now, but what am I doing it for? So, um, and then I kept making, I kept doing artistic stuff throughout the pandemic for myself, you know, um, without, and there was a point there where I was really low and I was like, I'm never, I don't think I'm ever going to do art again professionally, but then like in my dark moments, I would create art for myself mm-hmm. and and do live streams and stuff and it made me like tip money and paid my bills and stuff so yeah it's like a constant meditation and exercise for me but i think that's very helpful for artists to learn the pragmatic side and talk about money up front instantly and get it in writing because it that is what's going to bite you in the ass even if you're best friends with this person you'd be like no hard feelings it's kind of like if you have a new partner, you'd ask about an STD test, STI, sorry, right? So it's like, it's don't, don't, get, don't get all offended by it. You know, people aren't mind readers. You just have to say it, you know, so. Yeah, wow, awesome. The Mercy Bell, the apocalyptic gas station attendant on the outskirts of town is a, that's a character that I like. Yeah, that's how I see myself. <laughs> Well, I think I must have stolen that from Twin Peaks, the reboot of Twin Peaks. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, that's great. It's like an yeah. alter ego you have. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. Oh man. Um, the so with this with Golden Child the record, um, there's there's the six songs that are co-write all co-writes and mm-hmm. then you cover atlantic city can you talk about why that why that one makes it in um it's, it's great uh, by the way i want to oh, make sure. <laughs> it's wonderful um well bruce springsteen well first of all that's one of my favorite songs of all time and okay. it's i think bruce does a great job of writing characters in a way that it's like you're so aware it's bruce springsteen but it's also this character uh, and like to me it's simultaneously him and it's like it's kind of how i've always thought about like in catholicism they're like do you have the holy trinity of the father son and the holy ghost and they're all the same but they're all separate and it's just like i'm like that's how i felt about bruce springsteen with a lot of his songs it's like he is totally the boss but he's also talking about like this like rough and tumble guy who has a girl and he's gonna meet her in atlantic city right so and he's like so he's like painting a picture but it's still him. And like, that is all I want to try to achieve. Patty Griffin does it a lot too. She's a great writer. And it's like, they are simultaneously, it's them. It is their story. It's this character story. And it's also the listener's story. So it is like this Holy Trinity. Um, And I, well, I just always wanted to write that. I just always wanted to cover that song. And I felt like all the songs on this album were kind of 
in a long way around like an homage to my favorite songwriters who do that bruce springsteen patty griffin um there's more people in my head that i'm thinking of but i'm on the spot so i can't think of them but um uh what was i gonna say oh i think of independence day that song by Mar martina mcbride um you know gillian welch lucinda williams all these really great writers who kind of like put themselves in it but it's a separate um and that's really why and i was like i also wanted to do bruce because it's like there it is i i grew up in california and the northeast so i grew up in san diego and new bedford massachusetts so i was like i need something in this song to anchor a geographic location to the Northeast. So we have Atlantic city and, um, because the rest of the album could happen anywhere in the country, honestly, like it could, you throw a dart and you can choose, but I was like, I need to have something here. So it's like, you have that feeling of like meandering being a nomad. It, you're kind of like constantly in a border town sort of, you know, mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that makes sense, but <clears throat> I haven't taken my Adderall today yet. So <laughs> that's all. I'm glad. I'm glad you didn't take your Adderall. This is wonderful. <laughs> Which, but you brought up something that made me think about something you said earlier. So to connect to, you talked earlier about how, and I don't want to misquote you. So correct me if I'm saying this wrong, but like at, there was a, a, almost a pressure or a, a guilt of some sort that you put on yourself as you were kind of coming to understand your sexuality mm -hmm. and, like when you first said that, I thought that has to be coming from the church. Like that pressure had to be coming from the church, but you're saying like, you're saying maybe not like that was something maybe internal. And I'm wondering about the different parts of the country. Like I think of Boston as a very culturally different place from San Diego in terms of how being a, other or different yeah. oh, is, yeah. like is had, accepted. Gay marriage in 2005, I think, or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, it was, for me, it was always mm -hmm. a sexuality. It was, um, I found that the, the, the people in my life, like my family and whatnot have always been very pro-gay. Um, it's, so it's all, it hasn't, it was never a thing where I was like, you know, um, you're banished from this, you know, like that mm -hmm. sort of thing. I think I had a lot of internalized, um, self-loathing, I think, um, because of the era that we, that, 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 I mean, I'm 36. So like the nineties mm -hmm. was not like the greatest, most pro gay era. Right. right I mean, right. I remember when Matthew Shepard was killed. Uh, I mean, I, I remember a lot of, like that stuff. Um, and I think that when stuff started to kind of, when gay marriage was legalized in Massachusetts, I think it was 2005, I'm not sure. Um, I remember being like, dang, what is, what is this? Like, how have I, how have I turned my heart against this mm. and myself? also um and i started it wasn't this is gonna sound so funny but like i didn't realize i mean i've always had i've always been bisexual i've always had feelings for women and men and people and, and pansexual uh people who are trans and every like everybody if you're human and consenting i'm 
can fall for you. Right. Um, but, uh, it wasn't until this is going to sound funny, but like the OC that show the, that on the CW and they had an Olivia Wilde episode or, or season story arc where she's by. And I was like, Oh, that's what I've been experiencing all my life. And it wow. needed, I needed that like hot tattooed bartender because she was in some ways reflecting and now I'm tattooed and a bartender. And I'm like, I was like, I needed to represent me on some level, you know, because I didn't as much as I loved, you know, I think the first queer eye came out in the two, early 2000s. Yes. I loved those guys. They're great, but I didn't, it didn't talk about my story. Right. And like, I loved uh, like all the queer icons of the past, but a lot of them didn't speak to like, what I was going through, right? Um, Cause I'm not this like cool rock star, leather butch, you know, activist. Like, I was like, I'm not that badass, right? <laughs> <laughs> but when I see this like tattooed bisexual bartender with awesome cheekbones on the OC, I'm like, that's me. Like, and so I had to overcome my own sense of like, um, oh, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I think that's so interesting. It's so great. I mean, you know, I'm about to call the OC art, but it's so great how- uh, Pop culture, pop culture. Pop culture, that's better. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. It's so great how pop culture can provide that for, for you, can provide for each of us that mirror that we can go, oh shit, that's me, right? And similar to, it's coming back to Golden Child and how many, how much of the characters I can see, even though I, I may not at all be them, or I- maybe it had been them, you know, and, and have, there's a part of the, my past and a, a former me that can relate to some of those characters that maybe isn't present now. And perhaps in the future, there'll be a different part of me that can relate in certain exactly. ways. And that's the beauty of it. Right. And all the songs that I put on the album are like, I have related to at one point in my life, you know, and they might have very specific characters like the hustle is my probably my favorite character i'm not a 55 year old woman who lives in a trailer park with curlers in her hair but i fucking love that lady i love her i love her and kathy bates if you would like to be in this music video the offer is up <laughs> what is it about that character that you love so much he's just herself and she is free and it's like it i hope someday i can be that free and that's always like my whole goal in life is to just to get more free and it's like she just doesn't care and that is i she's my favorite character on the whole album that's i don't awesome. even have a name for her but i'm sure we will it's probably loosely based on the tawanda from fried green tomatoes but <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah she's my favorite that's yeah. great I know uh, her, her romance with Jimmy. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. It's a great song. It's probably, I mean, Golden Child's Golden Child, um, The Hustle, and then uh, Codeine's another one that I that I really, really, I love the whole record. But those three just really stand out. I mean, that the, some of those lines in Codeine. Like, the only thing I took from you is value some volume in Codeine. <laughs> and then the, the line about uh, the line about not noticing. You won't notice. I think it's. You won't Until notice like, I'm gone. Clean. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. We were talking, the co-writer and I were talking about like uh relationships and like the stuff that makes you feel like alone in a relationship, even though you're like 
you own a house with somebody, you know, like mm. you have shared bills and bank accounts and you're so alone. And it's like that stuff, right? It's, it's those things. It's like, the, I can hear the, like the dripping of the faucet. And that's what I'm talking about. Like, and you were talking about earlier about being present. It's like your writer's brain is always on. Mm-hmm. Your writer's brain is always on. Like I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, there's, I take boxing classes and MMA classes. And there's a guy who's like this parking attendant. And he has like his, he's like, uh, like a middle-aged guy black guy and he has his like parking attendant they his like little thing he has like the best plants in there it's so impeccable he always has like the best jazz playing off of his like bows he has like a super cozy chair every time i go past him all i can think of is like the vibe is impeccable it's like an impeccable vibe and like every time and every time i go past i'm just like damn, like I want to hang out here. It's in a parking lot. Like, (laughs) and that's for me, it's like, I'm always like picking up on that stuff. And I would encourage everybody who wants to be an artist to do that. Let's like, ask yourself every day, what is this? Like, who could I write about today? What a hero that guy is. And wonder, I know the impeccable vibe, dude. Yeah. 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 I like that. Cause it, man, that's, there's so much there. I mean, what, He could just, he could be in there pissed off. He's a parking attendant, bored yeah. out of his mind. He's like, hell no, nobody's going to, I'm going to create this vibe. I'm going to, I'm going to be so good. And there's some days that I'm in there. I'm like, man, I just kind of want to like sit in there and like be with the plants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, I don't know, maybe that's what I, I don't know where that came from, but it was like, yeah, it's like those little things, right? That's what yeah. I try to write about. And, you know. Great. Yeah. Earlier, you talked about um, the the fact that you're constantly consuming art, and uh, that's what we usually end on. Is what are you? What art has you inspired at the moment? Maybe a record, maybe a book. I don't know. Painting you saw. Um, I am. Uh, what have I been watching? I've been watching on Showtime this great docu series called Couples Therapy. Um, and it is really good. I, like I said, I'm a therapy nerd. Um, if that would be my other goal in life would be to go back to school to be a therapist. Um, but I've been watching couples therapy. It is awesome. It is mm-hmm. like you learn so much and it is sometimes documentaries can be art Art, they are art. Uh, there's another good one called the hundred foot wave about, surfing and like i have always grown up by the ocean and um it i am mesmerized and enamored by the ocean so definitely check out those two documentaries they're awesome um i've been listening to a lot of cardi b as usual because she can write lyrics like nobody's business i love her i love her and honestly wap kind of gave me some like um gusto to to just say it right. Mm. It's like with, and I know she really went for it. <laughs> but like Golden Child, I was like, I can talk about this. It's fine. I can talk about because like everybody in Golden Child, a lot of those stories are true stories. So like I do have a friend who was like the captain of his football team, but he was also cross-dressing and ultimately came out as a wonderful gay man. Like um, yeah. you know, so it's like it's just people's real real stories. So yeah, a lot of Cardi B. Um, what else am I 
trying um as always this american life is one of my favorite podcasts i've listened to every episode and it's art i think really good journalism is art so um yeah I'm i'm with you on that for sure yeah good journalism is absolutely art and i think that it's because it's telling people stories so i'm all about stories it's my mm. favorite thing you, that reminds me of radio labs like that too oh radio lab is so good yeah the other lot did you did you listen to that one no not yet no uh, it, was, it was a few years ago it was, okay, it was like okay. right in the middle of the pandemic the other Latif, and uh it the story after you listen to it then start doing the research. Don't do the research till after you listen, because okay, there's yeah, like yeah. a new development in the case that just happened. Got it. Just I highly recommend though, and that's okay. a perfect example. I found myself in tears listening to that story, both because because the story is powerful, but also because there are times when I consume something like that, especially if it's a podcast or something that I do for my own art. That when I'm listening to it, I'm like, oh, fuck, I'll never get there. I'm never be that good, you know, which is okay. I'm okay with it. It just like right. moves me when I listen to great journalism like that. Something yeah. that's that well done. And of course they have teams of people and they're all geniuses, but still it's just like overwhelming sometimes to consume something that good. Yeah. And, and it's like, I completely agree. It's like, I do that too with music. I'm like, oh, I'm never going to write something like that. But then you have to be like, you just peel you just keep doing what you're doing and ira glass talks about that it's just like you're you're never going to satisfy yourself ultimately maybe you will but it's like as long as you keep trying and so mm-hmm. and i totally butchered ira's uh ira's quote but it's out there it's on the internet you know yeah and i get the gist of it yeah um, the spirit of it this has been so great i you thank you thank you for your wonderful record thank you for your time and energy thank you for not taking your adderall i think uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, went, we went all over the place uh, i love that i love that we went all over the place i'm gonna have to ask my publicist be like can you please put on there like do they want me to take my adderall <laughs> <laughs> Can you please ask them? <laughs> Versus is interested in the show, but there's just like, we've got a couple of drug related questions. Yeah, we, did you want her to take her out of here or not? <laughs> That's great. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much, so much for everything. This has been amazing. Yeah. I appreciate it. This was fun. Thanks for letting me ramble. Oh, my pleasure. Have a wonderful day and I'll hopefully talk to you sometime soon. All right. You too.
Mercy Bell, y'all. Thank you so much, Mercy. Thank all of you for listening. That was too much fun. The song you're hearing in this episode is the title track from her record, Golden Child. Go to mercybell.com to get you a copy of that and for all things Mercy. Marinadepodcast.com for all things The Marinade, including written pieces, photography, our online store, and more. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Please subscribe and leave a five-star rating on your podcast app. Those are all free ways to support the show. If you really like what we're doing and can swing it, please consider joining our Patreon community, where for just a few bucks a month, you can gain access to Patreon-exclusive content, like our show Jason's Journey where I talk about the moments that shape my creative life and provide a window into the process of making the marinade. Sometimes we get together for Patreon happy hours. A couple weeks ago, I dropped a very special Jason's Journey with songwriter and podcaster Will Payne Harrison. Will and I chatted for a while just about podcasting and life, and you can hear that conversation as well as all of the other Jason's Journeys. There's over 50 of them up there now at patreon.com slash podcast for as little as five dollars you can get jason's journey it's a good time join us if you can but above all just thank you so much for listening and spreading the word everybody it is such a pleasure to be able to to do this work and uh, i'm really grateful for all of you for listening all right y'all it's time for what i'm getting down on the segment of the show where i talk about the art that is inspiring me at the moment my copy of joe pug's the diving sun arrived in the post last week pug never disappoints uh he only released half of the record on digital platforms so i hadn't heard the other tunes and uh you know i've i've been listening to a ton of pug in recent weeks he's long been one of my favorite songwriters um i must have listened to the messenger record a hundred times and this album is a continuation of all the lyrical wizardry you've come to know and love from joe pug but it really shows off his sense of melody, The Diving Sun. Highly recommend it. I've also been listening to Sean Rowe's forthcoming record, The Darkness Dressed in Colored Lights, which comes out on October 8th. Uh, this guy's voice is like a cross between Jay Maskus and our friend Sean James. Just outstanding record, y'all. And speaking of October, October is going to be great for uh for releases. Our friend Tennessee Jet is also releasing a new record on October 8th. It's called South Dakota. This one sounds like it came straight out of Greenwich Village in the 60s, y'all. It's an acoustic record. It just, again, TJ knocks it out of the park. I'm really excited for y'all to hear that one. All right, before I go this week, I just want to say clearly and succinctly that uh, I believe state and federal governments have no business telling a woman what she can and can't do with her, her body. Um, please vote, everybody. All right, y'all. I love you. Until next time, go out and create something. Cheers, y'all.